Welcome to the Top Gear magazine podcast, a peek behind the curtain of what it's really like to drive other people's cars for a living. These are the stories behind the stories. Hello everyone, I'm Jack Ricks and I'm joined by Rowan Horncastle. Hello. And Ollie Marriage. Hello. Well done, everyone. This is one of those podcasts where we talk about a feature, um, something that we got up to that was just too good to mix in with everything else. It deserved a podcast all of its own. And it's when Ollie Marriage, to my right, went to spend a day or several days, in fact, with the Supercar Owner Circle. Now, if you don't know what that is... Um, We're going to find out. You're about to find out. <laughs> and uh, and Rowan also has some first-hand experience because you did it, was it last year or year before? No, 2018. 2018, old pandemic. school. Yeah. Right, yeah. so yeah, so why don't you tell everyone what it was because it sounds like a bit of a sort of dream day out. Yeah, well, Rowan and I, we, we first found out about this. It's basically, it's a collection of supercar and hypercar owners it's a little company that sort of organises events and days out and it can do your buying and selling of cars and all the rest of it. But it organises these weekends for people to go along, take their exotic cars around and then it organises various money-can't-buy events and things that go on. Rowan and I first did something with them. Sort of coincidentally, we were dri- I was driving the Zenvo TSRS at Goodwood. Is that the one with the wiggly wing? One with the wiggly wing. Yeah. This was back in like 2017, I think. And we, were, we went there to drive the Zenvo, but it turned out to be part of this wider th- event going on, which was organised by the Supercar Owners Circle. So which meant that Rowan then the following year went out to Switzerland when they had an event out there, an Andermatt, wasn't it? Andermatt, yeah. It was all centred around the Chedi Hotel, which is this like eight-star hotel. I didn't even get that many stars. <laughs> were you in the travel lodge down the road? No, no. Amazingly, <laughs> I got put up in one of the rooms, which came with a price tag. Of six million euros if you wanted to buy the hotel room. So this is kind of like, this level's <laughs> it, where we're at. Is in it the just altitude. on the door? No. <laughs> For sale, eight million. Weirdly, it's like next to the chocolate that you get on your pillow, yeah. which is obviously very nice too. Chocolate was free, I But hope. yeah, it, it was, uh, that was like my immersion within it. And I was there for the weekend too, where, as Ollie said, it's the, ultimately the, 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 the ultimate private members club for cars where there's like a concierge service but you're just collated together and i i don't know you 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 can't afford it if you ask how much it is to be part of it but basically entry is gained by having you need to have the world's most exclusive cars and we're talking about cars that we can't get our hands on they're the one-off ferraris you know the one-off of wherever bugatti these guys seem to get hold of them so that's how we initially got the the zenvo 2 is that they were running them out um at goodwood and the event in Switzerland, based out of the hotel, amazing underground car park, everyone has dinners, bit of networking, there's a lot of money sloshing around. Um, and then they closed an Alp um, for a day where you could drive on the roads, non-road legal cars. I was in a GT4. What do they um, do, just buy the mountain? I think, or someone owns it. That's normally like someone <laughs> yes, normally, because yeah. someone owns the whole of Andermatt, who was there, uh, and then someone owned the airport. So then we went there and drag raced everything. Mm. But we've been intrigued because um, it is really taken off on social media too, because in this era of car spotters, etc., which I'm sure Ollie will get into. This was early days when I was doing it in 2018, and I first saw it because Alex Penfold, who um, did work experience with me um, at Top Gear, brought him in. So, yeah. And then he went, became a social media master and uh, <laughs> has probably made loads more money than any of us anyway. But fantastic <laughs> photographer. Shots like his, just when we saw them blew our minds of, you know, MC12s, Bugatti's, 
F40s, basically any supercar you can imagine from any era was in you know the locations of Switzerland and around and on these great passes. So we went and got involved, and it was just fant- fantastic insight. And um, you would hear things that you can't talk about about w- where the industry is going, what they've been offered, the cars that we haven't seen earlier because who's got deposits on what? The exclusive, yeah. and, or literally, or, or forcing manufacturers to make stuff because they have the money to finance it, and then manufacturers can be swayed. So, and that's the thing: manufacturers go along to all the CEOs want to be there because you can't have a better pool of people who will put money into your, your, your business and buy your cars. Um, exactly. So you've got the people there, or the people who are driving that top end of the, the supercar and hypercar market. So they're the people who are the CEOs and the car companies have got to keep sweet by telling you, you know, so what, what, would you, what do you want us to build you? I mean, yeah. what, what, how exclusive does it need to be? What numbers we do, do you want to be? So these guys are the ones who are sort of making some of the decisions yeah. behind the scenes. These guys who buy... Everything that well, comes how, along. How many owners are there? I mean, it may be different between 2018 and 2023, but... About 35 to 40. Okay. Yeah, I we, think it's a bit bigger yeah. when we were there. There's, there was a lot, but what they can do for the profit and loss of certain manufacturers well, say, is huge. Look, yeah. 25, yeah, yeah. You know, 35 to 40 people, if they buy one each, you know, that's a, that's a business model these days, isn't mm. it? The ultra-low run, 2 million quid... We're only going to build 20, 30, 40 of them. Yeah, you know? exactly. And they all, the, what they want to know is that their investment is safe, they, that they're going to, not going to lose money hands mm-hmm. over fist in chopping, if they want to chop it in or change it or yeah. whatever down the so, line. So where were you? So I was in southern Spain. Okay. So Roe went to the, to the Alps. I was in southern Spain. So they did sort of, it was a Marbella sort of area, very, again, really lovely hotel called La Zambra. And they've done a, Croatia before, haven't they? And the Croatia has been the last two years. Yeah. Um, yeah, this one was southern Spain. And again, they did sort of the money can't buy things of. We went to Ascari, which was which is closed for redevelopment entirely, but one of the members of this <laughs> owns Ascari. Mm-hmm. So therefore, we had to we got to go on Ascari. And we were only meant to be doing parade laps at 30 miles an hour. Hang on, were you doing chicanes through the diggers? Not quite. <laughs> Luckily, they haven't pulled up the tarmac oh, yet. Good. It's mostly all the sort of... Um, a pit lane area that's been uh, it's a scary kind of a private members club. It, it, sort of that's what it's going to become it's sort yeah. of been a sort of it's it's a racetrack but it's always been sort of quite a private one but manufacturers have used it for various launches and things so one it's a really lovely track it's a to race drive. resort isn't it race yeah. resort yeah. yeah yeah so they we we were going around there i i got to drive i had an aston dbx 707 as my crew slash support car as you do to for driving around was in, it just sort of hanging nice. around you went does anyone mind if i does anyone oh, just have that it. was largely it yeah yeah they had <laughs> they'd organized some support cars and of course they're not going to just turn up at the higher desk and get support cars they get Support cars, there's sort of a I couple like the of idea Astons of you turning rolls. up in a banged up Fiat Panda, just going, it's all we had left at the airport. <laughs> and then, you know. But in this company, it is the equivalent of a Kia Rio being there, <laughs> yeah, really. This DB- it gets no one looks yeah. at it. Um, so, one of the things we did is they closed um, uh, Marbella, the Puerto Banus, they're sort of, which is sort of the super exclusive edge of the southern Spain. Where they all the supercar buyers, you know, supercar owners want to go and show off in their cars. Or well, we just trumped everyone because thirty-five mm-hmm. cars turned up in a convoy to go through Puerto Banus, and it was hilarious. I followed through a couple of the Koenig segs, and I was in the DBX seven seven oh seven, which was basically a chicane for all the car spotters <laughs> to come running around to take. And it was it was I described it as being a bit like Group B rally days because there were so many people standing so close. And not paying attention to anything else going on around them because they were so intent on just getting images and capturing video of these cars coming through mm-hmm. the town. And I sort of thought that when, because we, when we first arrived, there was 
car spotters were all outside the hotel. And I thought, oh, that'll be it. They, they're here to see the cars and then they go and do whatever else they mm. do for the day. Go and spot no, some other cars. They, they follow you around mm. all day long. Mm. So wherever these cars went, which they created their own sort of little vortex of <laughs> sort of force around them with just people would just gather and it would just get, it was just causing chaos. So actually as an event to drive on, it wasn't really that much fun because you're just driving from one point and you're dodging the three car spotters hanging out of a hired Kia who are jostling alongside you and getting in the way and things. So you, there's there's a lot to process and deal with, and it's you become it's basically you're more of a media circus than you are actually yeah. enjoying your driving in the cars. So I think there's it attracts some people who really like that and who really want to play into it. And there's probably some people who are a little bit fed up with it and want to and, get and just, up. Just to go through some of the cars, just to say you listeners can just kind of gauge where we're at visually when all of these rock up at once. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can imagine Gran Turismo or Forza Motorsport and you have the menus of the garage, it's basically printing out all of those and turning them into yeah. reality. So they're mm-hmm. just deep inhale of breath. There was a Ferrari F40. Are we talking, is this this year? This is this year, yeah. wasn't yeah. it? And I don't think this is everything. This is all I can remember off the top of my head. Uh, Pagani Wire Roadster BC, a Wire Roadster. A Delage D12, which I wanted to ask you about. That's that new French. That si- wasn't on the. That wasn't rolling. That'll come. I'll come on to talk about that. Okay. But it was there. There was a few Ferrari Monzas, uh, a Koenigsegg Regera, Koenigsegg Yesco, Koenigsegg Agera One One, uh, and CCXR and a CCX. Yeah, yeah. All the Koenigseggs, literally, basically. <laughs> yep. uh, Aston Martin One Seven Seven, Alfa Romeo Eight C, Disco Volante. 812 Comps, SF90s, 408 Kimi Raikkonen car, yep. uh, LaFerraris, Diablos, uh, Porsche 918s in Harlequin paint scheme. Yep, there was a story behind that, obviously. Uh, <laughs> Bugatti EB110s, you know, Chiron's that you can count. Chiron's galore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In fact, and I said to, uh, they, they, they sort of sprung in and out of existence because on different days, one, an owner would go, oh, I don't want to drive that today. I've, I've got, I bought something else. <laughs> and he'd bring something else. So like a, the 177 appeared for about five minutes and disappeared again. One guy turned up with a Chiron one day and then a different Chiron the next day. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, Any so, Valkyries? No Valkyries. Mm, no no one Valkyries. Getting no one fancied getting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bringing them. Well, I bet there were a few lot. owners of them there. I'm oh, sure yeah. there were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And um, you're in your mix. The, the, amongst the owners, you've got some guys who are very private and don't really want to reveal too much. Some guys who are quite uh, very open and really see this as networking opportunity. Quite a few are supercar, hypercar dealers who have got you know a Chiron or got something and it's oh so they're trying to flog a car they might be trying to flog a car Ah. so um, yeah so there's some very interesting did they come up to you and go hello sir do you fancy a uh, no they had me dialed pretty quick (laughs) the the watch and the shoes were not living up to most (laughs) other people's unfortunately (laughs) but on that point then the Delage D12, so a car we haven't really seen. Yeah. Um, you're probably going to have to Google it, dear listener, mm. because uh, it's a fighter jet-inspired French um, car. That's all yeah. I basically know about it at this well, point. Well, it's really interesting. So the whole event, um, partly, it's like Dragon's Den, because every time you sit and have a meal or anything, they have people who come along and talk to you about the the new app they've developed that shows, you know, that helps you buy and sell your supercars offline or little car company were there with their with their um type 35 and their new bentley and they, they all get to go stand up and do 15 20 minutes of presentation about their cars or about their app or about whatever it is 
So, and of course, they're sitting there presenting it to exactly the right audience who not only could afford to invest in whatever it is or afford to you know, use that app, but actually invest in the company behind it. So it's a really interesting dynamic when you've got all these companies coming in and saying, oh, I'm starting up a watch company or I'm starting up this and mm. here you go, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and Delage was, like, was partially that because I don't think that car is nearly ready for production yet. Um, it's very interesting. They're, they're, it's, they're, they're saying if we, if they, we can get five people here interested in buying one, then that might get us over the line. It might start, it yeah. might start ticking everything, everything yeah. along. It's, but it is a bit like the Zinger C21. It's a tandem seater, so one behind the other, mm-hmm. really cramped inside. But I think, I've, I've got, I can't remember, I think it's a V12 engine it uses out the back. And it's very Formula One inspired in terms of narrow cockpit, big wings, low sort of, I mean, it's radically mm. radical looking thing. Yeah. But I'm not sure it's ready for production that's, that's in the quite, way that well, they say yet. All in the, the blind spots of our knowledge, because it's, mm. it's bordering on the vaporware-ish yeah. nature, so we haven't invested too much time on it. But since you mentioned Dragon's Den, I just can't get an image of Deborah Mead in, in a Ferrari Daytona out of my head. So yeah, <laughs> just rocking up, trying to, trying to bid on stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, so there is a big business element to it, isn't mm. there, of like being there? There is. Yeah. So the actual driving is more to get to where you're going. So you do, we did a you know drive to get to Ascari, and then we did a drive to get to a nice restaurant. Did um, you do some drag racing? They normally... We did. They closed Granada Airport to the incoming Boeings and EasyJets, and so we could, for two and a half hours, yeah. go and... someone owns the airport, and, obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> any, any, any lapping at Ascari? No, well, not, not fast. It was meant to be done a parade lap done at 30 miles an hour, which soon degenerated into, hang on, we can't all get to the, onto, the, onto the circuit at the same time. So by the time that I joined, basically the pace car had caught back up. So everyone in front of me was like, oh, I better rag it to catch back up. So it was all degenerated into quite a... But the, the yeah, drag fast very fast laps. Yeah, yeah. Well, the drag racing is just interesting itself, but they don't. Um, there's a lot of content being produced because it's very Instagram friendly, mm. as we said. But you see, you know, these owners are quite willing to drive their cars quite hard. So you mm. see a Ferrari F40 against an Alfa Romeo 8C, which you just wouldn't normally get. Yeah. But uh, it, which is mind blowing in itself. But you just think, God, the values of these things. If anything was to mm. go wrong, yeah. or something yeah, to go yeah. pop. Well, I just think it's exciting that. Um, you know, people often say, what's the point in supercars? You know, mm. they, they don't work on roads. What would you get to do with them? This is something to do with them because you mm. get to, you know, you get to go to a lovely part of the world. You get to meet like-minded and like-walleted um, individuals and, you know, talk about the thing that you're, that you're passionate about. So it, it's an interesting event. Yeah. Now, did you get a chance to sit down and talk to any of the CEOs because... You may have been pretending to be a billionaire, Ollie, but you are actually a journalist. <laughs> so, so when you see a car boss, mm. you make a beeline for them. Yeah, 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 and ask them awkward questions. Yeah, it was quite good actually. <laughs> there was, as Rose said earlier, a lot of Koenigseggs there, mm-hmm. and I got to drive the CCXR Ooh. with Christian von Koenigsegg. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So I jumped in a car with Christian, and we went and um, spent a bit of time shooting the breeze. Lovely. And uh, did you stick a microphone in his face? I did. Quite a windy face because the <laughs> roof was off and it was, we were driving. But yeah, we had a go. But anyway, I think that's a nice way. Should we listen to the, uh, the conversation? Should yeah, I'd love Christian to. I've Koenig also got an image Ollie? in my head of like the Mitchell brothers of two bald heads in a CCXR with the top off. You Highly aerodynamic. You've got that far too right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's have a little, little listen to the conversation then.
So what I'm interested in is why do you come on an event like this? Why do you come on a supercar owner circle event? What do right. you get from it? So it's kind of getting close to the, uh, the customer, the owners and the clientele to kind of hear their point of view on, uh, on other cars, our cars and, uh, and, and experience the cars together. And, yeah. and the supercar owner circle, they, they've invited us for a couple of years. We went, we went uh, three, three years ago to Gestad as well. So we don't go yeah. all the time, but uh, and and they they do this not only with Koenigsegg, they also invite other manufacturers. So there you go. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So it, it's it gives me the opportunity also to drive our our range of cars over yeah. the years. So in an interesting setting. Because I assume you we're now in a CCXR, and I assume you don't often get the opportunity to get back in. That, that's true. There are very few of these, and. Yeah. Uh, uh, we, we actually have one in the factory, but it's uh, it's never driven, so it's kind of no yeah. mileage on it. So uh, we, we yeah like to keep it that way. So this is a chance to drive one of these. But yeah. I drove for a couple of hours today and enjoyed it a lot. Drove one to one yesterday. Yeah, it's really amazing. So what, what do you when do you look back at cars like this now? Do you do you see how you might have done things differently back then, or are you just uh, happy that you've made it to where you are? Well, I, I would put it like this. Uh, it's more that I'm amazed what we were capable of doing in 2007. Good. That's, yeah. It's more that. It's like I, I, like, I still very much like how the car behaves, what it feels like, mm. what it can do, yep. and, and how well it functions. Yeah. So, yes. uh, and so. how well it stood the test of time, because this one's done nearly 40,000 kilometers. Exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, it's for many years been a daily driver yep. um, and being driven a lot still. So. Yeah. So for you, for you, so you're, we're here and you've got a load of customers here as well. Do you, can, you, can you use them to help with future product development? Well, we always listen to the customer base, what, 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 uh, what, what they think of our cars, what they think of other cars. Yeah. But, but also trying to understand kind of where is the industry going, what are the trends and so on. Yeah. Not, not that we necessarily decide to follow them, yep. but, but to understand uh, what they are mm. uh, and what, what we want to do. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. and usually that's sometimes, well, many times it's usually something different than the trend, maybe. So. Yeah. And so, so, for instance, was the Gamera, was that a project from you or was that from an owner who... No, it was, was actually a dream of mine since, since many, many years. Uh, yeah. One of my first sports cars experiences as a kid was in a four-seater, uh, actually yep. a Lotus Excel. <laughs> really? Yeah, for oh, hey. father had yeah. one and uh, we went out, all the three of us, mm. or sometimes with his sister as well, four seats, and yeah. he was kind of rallying in the winter with it, drove it as a daily driver. <laughs> I, I just remember very fondly the experience of having, a, at the time, a relatively sporty, nice sports yeah. car at the time, and, and, and just being able to enjoy it with more people inside. And yeah, the yeah. Jumeirah is, of course, taking that to 11. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's a full-size full four-seater, yeah. but still a mid-engine, two-seater car layout yeah so it's a bit of an oxymoron um, yeah but trying to avoid compromise like having that yeah. having this experience and when you look back whoa there's not only an engine in the middle there's also two seats. seats how does that there. work and, yeah and then making use of our idea for the doors yeah uh, making them longer but it's very practical because you can actually park um, parallel park next to another car get out from the front seats and the rear seat simultaneously yep. very close to another car without moving anything yes so it, it's actually super practical on top of everything yeah so are you really excited for people to get out and start experiencing absolutely that? 
we're in a tunnel now. <laughs> Just pulse. It's great, isn't it? It's such a clean exhaust note as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that exciting. does sound good. <laughs> yeah. So it's twin supercharged, isn't twin it? Twin supercharged, yeah. Small centrifugal superchargers. Yeah. So, so it just builds boost linearly with RPM. Yeah. As you notice. And the centrifuge, where how does that work? Where does the centrifuge sit? So so it's actually more or less like you can say belt-driven turbos. Yep. So instead of the exhaust housing, there's a small planetary gearbox yep. on the, off of the crank. So wow. spit spinning up like a turbo-looking uh, uh, centrifugal charger. So wow. And is that something that you designed for them? Uh, well, we, we definitely uh, implemented those superchargers on our engine and everything. But yeah. uh, we did not invent the centrifugal supercharger. That, that existed. Okay. So, but to have two of them in this configuration, and then yeah. we patented actually a a response system, so there is no uh, kind of bypass blow. We instead have small throttles in front of the uh, compressor wheels, so they yeah. kind of build pressure quicker because the pressure is always pre-built a little bit in front of the throttle, so yeah. you have really good response. But at lower RPM, you don't have a lot of boost, but you have great response of what's there all the time. Yeah, And it's very linear. You always know kind of at each RPM what power you have because it's a certain boost. Right. It almost gives a sense of a normally aspirated engine because there is no unlinearity to it like a yeah. turbo engine. Mm. Yeah, but it's with amazing bottom end torque yeah. to, to go. Yeah. And what, what surprises me when I drive this car, and I, I, I don't know if you will notice, but it's how compliant the chassis is. Oh, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's, it's like very stable and stiff, but it's not a hard ride. No, not at all. For being such an extreme machine. Yeah. And of course, it's a high-speed machine, so the yeah. steering is not overly fast. It's no. not slow, but it's not overly fast because yeah, at high speed, that could be pretty scary. So Yeah. So where did this come in? It came in sort of after... So this was 2007, was it? Yeah, 2000. So our first model ever was the CC8S in, uh, in 2002. We delivered the first one. Yeah. Then in, uh, that was a 655 horsepower car. Yeah. Uh, it was fully homologated with emission control and everything for Europe. Yeah. It actually took the Guinness record for the most powerful production car yes. with 655 horsepower. Yeah. And at the time, some of the media journalists thought, oh, that's way too much with 655 mm. horsepower. Ferrari had 400 something maybe. Yeah. Now, of course, your family sedan has 600 <laughs> yes. horsepower. Yeah. So things have changed a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and in the, in 2004, we upgraded the CC8S with a similar twin uh, compressor system. Mm. So we got 806 horsepower again, beating our own Guinness record yep. for power. And that yeah. car turned out to, in 2005, at the Nardo test track in Italy, we managed yeah. to beat the seven, eight-year-old McLaren F1's top speed record yeah. with 388 kilometers per hour. Yeah. So the, C the CC8S and the CCR were really completely analogly designed cars. I mean, yeah. The body was hand modeled from clay by me and two other persons. Right. Uh, the drawings were all on paper, no yeah. computers. So uh, the CCX range, yeah. which came out in uh, 2006, was completely digital. We scanned the old cars okay. and then we redid everything with a little bit different ergonomics, a little bit bigger yeah. uh, in CAD. Yeah. So it was our first kind of digital creation. Mm -hmm. 
and, the, and, uh, and then it had 806 horsepower, and it was also the first car homologated for the US. Right. Uh, so we didn't increase the horsepower, we just redid everything in a little bit different ergonomics, a little bit more yeah. controlled way, uh, and managed to get US homologation. And then the CCXR is the same car, but yep. with flex fuel. Yeah. So you can also fill up uh, E85 fuel in any mixture with uh, the normal petrol. Yeah. Taking the power to 1,018 horsepower, which yeah. again was a new world record in power. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, Veyron had 1,001. Mm. Uh, yeah. And it was the first environmentally conscious sports car. Yeah. Uh, as no other sports car had any. It was before EV sports car, one year before the Tesla Roadster, which is kind of the second environmentally conscious sports car after this. Yep. Uh, and, and, and nothing else was out there. And I yeah. remember the Geneva Motor Show, some of our competitors coming, what is this for? No one cares about the environment, the sports car. This yeah. is just nonsense. Well, then I said, well, we think it's important. It gives, first of all, it's at the time, it was very readily available, E85 fuel. Yep. Uh, secondly, um, yeah, why not? Why not be kinder to the environment and get more power at the same time? Yeah. What's wrong with that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so that's yeah. kind of why we did it. And now yeah. it's a different story, and of course. Do you find your your owners, in fact, just quick one, could you make sure your right hand sort of stays down in your lap? Because otherwise oh, I think it's one. blocking yeah. the camera sure, frame. Sure. Um, no, I was just thinking, do your owners care about the environment, do you think? Do you, are they? So, some do and maybe some don't, I guess, yeah. right? But you're not in any rush to build an electric I mean, if you, if you would ask me, uh, let's say, uh, five years ago, would we have an electric car now? I would say, of course. Yeah. But, uh, and we have developed uh, e-motors, inverters, battery packs. We did the Regera hybrid. Yes. Yeah, and now yeah. we're doing the Jamira. The Jamira is a platform which we in parallel developed to be completely electric if we want. Yeah. It's just that what, what has happened over the last few years, it was like a big push in the whole industry for EV, of course, also yeah. in, in our industry. But then uh, it became a little bit of that Swiss, Swiss watch moment where everyone didn't want a Casio anymore when they want to dress yeah. up or have something nice or a yeah. weekend car to drive where you can have a debate with the engine, you're talking to the car, it's talking back to you yeah. and you're driving an EV on a daily basis which is absolutely fine, fast and comfortable and yeah. you've got the stereo on and you're driving to work or whatever you're doing but to, to have that weekend, let's say, fun, it's... Um, it just lacks something, and of course, an yeah. EV is heavier. So, what, what we prioritized doing was uh, really uh, kind of combining hybrid with flex fuel. So, yeah. you can have this kind of e fuels and in combination with uh, uh, brake regeneration and uh, torque fill, and the possibility to drive shorter distances with um, uh, electric. Yeah. And then you have a much lighter car. If we did a, the Jamira in full EV today with a 100 kilowatt hour battery pack it will be 2.2 2.3 tons yeah, now yeah. we can have longer range and under two ton weight yeah. uh, and and the roar and consume less uh, raw material for the battery pack yeah uh, and we're running on renewable fuel and have brake regeneration yeah you have to drive a really long distance or maybe forever until you're worse than a pure EV, which yeah. you have to mine all of these cells and have so many of them. It so I think it just makes sense, and that's what the customer wants. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I suppose they want that nod towards you going in the right direction, but right. they still want the excitement that you only really still get with a an exciting petrol engine. Exactly. Yeah. 
So uh, yeah, so that's what we're doing. Yeah. We, we can turn EV any day. I mean, we have all the technology and we're prepared for it. But at the moment, uh, we can get a much lighter, more exciting car with a big environmental uh, kind of consideration. Yeah. Um, and when batteries get lighter and uh, maybe it's possible to find ways of finding new ways of making it more exciting to compensate for the lack of dialogue with the engine, if I put it like that, yeah. uh, then, uh, then we'll probably do it. Yeah. So, but we will, at the same time, I think, keep the combustion engine alive for as long as it makes sense, as long as we're allowed, and as long as we can motivate it from an environmental perspective. So how much do you keep an eye on what your rivals do, what Bugatti do? What anyone else does well, we'll, out there? We we'll always see what they're up to, of course. Yeah. But it's. I, th I think it's not about replicating what they're doing. No. So. Because you have to be true to yourself and your right principles. Is yeah. yeah. And I think equally they are looking at what we're doing. I think. So. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, so how how much do you think it's important for your company and Pagani and others to have a have you as a figurehead? Uh, that's a difficult question to answer, really. Um, I. I I, I know the company would be something very different than if it didn't have a person like myself kind of be willing to push the boundaries, Yeah. Uh, not always just thinking about what's the quick buck and how do we make money in the short term, yeah. but having a long-term perspective. Yeah, uh, because course, you're invested in it personally. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so it, would be completely, it would be something completely different. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And do your so you come on an event like this? Do you do you do a lot of these sort of events? I I wouldn't say I do a lot because yeah. uh, I I always find uh, I'm I kind of make best use of myself relatively deep into kind of the development and production of the cars. That's where I really yeah. like to be, uh, and it's always yeah. a bandwidth situation. But it's yeah. it's very uh, important to go out into the yeah. market, into the world and, and kind of understand uh, how we operate in, yeah. with the cars in the real world and, 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 uh, and the reaction to them. So, yeah. so yeah. you have to do both, basically. Yeah. But, but I wouldn't say I do it a lot. It's no. maybe, yeah, three, you, three four times a year. Yeah, okay. But you'd still rather be back at the shop figuring I mean, out the I'm, next I'm problem. enjoying myself right now, of course, <laughs> but, but it's, you know, all the traveling, this and that, all, all the the side effects of going somewhere is, of course, the yeah. frustrating part for everyone. Um, yeah. But, but uh, uh, I mean, if I really have to choose, I have to choose that. Yeah. But, but it's, and, and sometimes when you're in the middle of, of, of important things at work and uh, at home and you have to go out, it can be yeah. kind of, okay, I, well, I have to do it, so I'll do it. Yeah. But, so, and what's the story behind these particular cars? They're all carbon clear coat or well, Com the, the, completely bare carbon. I, I would put it like this. I mean, all, all our uh, cars since we delivered the first one were carbon fiber body, carbon fiber chassis, yeah. all of them. And then it has evolved over the years. Uh, but uh, uh, this one is uh, clear coated carbon fiber and it stood the test of time amazingly well. Been yeah. out in the sun in the summer in Spain and in Switzerland and everywhere looking still almost like new so yeah shows the quality of the of, uh, and, and the durability in the sun of the carbon fiber uh, yeah. nowadays we do even what we call naked carbon fiber which yeah. is like you have on the door there uh, oh, so it's is, not lacquered at all exactly right it's it's just polished away straight from the tool 
really to whole out the tool, polish it, yeah. nothing else. Nothing else. We even sand well, away the thin little film of epoxy that yeah. naturally sits there. Yeah. Some people just polish that up if they don't want to have any kind of lacquer, but we actually sand that away so we get into the fibers, yeah. and then we polish the fibers. So you get this kind of metallic yeah. feel to it. And yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's like you're in the carbon. There's nothing on top of it. And did you have to develop that yourself? We did. We had to make samples wow. and put them out in the yard for years. We had to come up with special epoxy concept that doesn't fade in color, yeah. things like that. And it's super stable. We've been doing our carbon fiber wheels with that mythology since 2011. Yeah. And they look like brand new still. Yeah. So it really, really works. Yeah. It's just a pure material. And it's still, and it's very stone chip resistant. It doesn't. It's actually uh, much more stone chip resistant than the lacquer because right. acrylic is several times softer than the yeah. actual carbon fiber. Yeah. But of course, if you take some kind of sharp object and bang at it or, yeah. or, or some kind of hack or something, you can make a mark. But, yeah. but uh, just generally speaking, it's much more scratch resistant than even stone chip resistant. Yeah. And did the owner of this want these car, all these cars to look similar? Because he's got a few. Yeah, exactly. Hasn't he? So this is the only one that's lacquered. Yeah. Because we didn't offer what we call KNC at the time, yeah. which is the naked carbon, Koenigsegg naked carbon fiber. Yeah. Um, so, but the other ones is ordered with uh, that feature. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite unique. Yeah. Good customer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you find that most of your customers buy more than one? They keep, they come back? Yes, absolutely. I right. would say the average customer has over two cars. Really? Some, yeah. some, as you've noticed, have more. Yes. <laughs> so they yeah. drive up the... And the reason why I say average over two is because I think there's very few that have one. There are yeah. several that have four, five, or six. <laughs> so, and you've built, what, 300 cars? Exactly. So then you can count backwards. There are quite a few Koenigsegg owners out there. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it means that... Um, oh, yeah. And we have more cars on order than yep. we have delivered in 20 years. So wow. that's why we're expanding. So that's so why you've got to build the new facility. Exactly. We need, we need to make sure we yeah. can supply them in a timely fashion. Wow. So you've got 300 cars on order? More. As I said, more. Oh God. Isn't that a bit daunting because you're looking down the barrel well, of we, production we, waiting list? We, we used to be, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, two and a half years ago, we were 200 people. Now we are 650. Right. So of course, it's a lot to take care of. And, and when you expand, you need to make sure everything is controlled and expanded in a controlled way. Yeah. But uh, we, we have, uh, we're kind of mixing uh, the company as it used to be and, and we're taking in experienced personnel from Volvo, Porsche, Tesla, yeah. Uh, yeah, other sports car manufacturers that have, that are used to a little bit higher volume production yeah. and things like that. So, yeah. so combining it with who we are and what we know. So we, we believe we have it under control. Yeah. <laughs> but that must be, is that part of the thrill for you, just being slightly in control, out of control, or do you, well, are I, you a big planner and an organizer? I would put it like this, uh, to me it's always important to make sure it's a challenge, Yeah. because otherwise I don't think we are uh, doing as much as we could. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's, it should be, I mean, at any given time, I guess, like, uh, a reasonable amount of challenge. Yeah. That's what I like. So. Sometimes it can a be more, sometimes less, but, but yeah. Uh, yeah. How keeps... did you have the guts? When you started out, 
22, 23 were you when you set Koenigsegger? Yeah, I, I was 22 when I started, yeah. How did you have the guts, oopsie, yeah, guts okay. to do that? Well, it was my childhood dream to, uh, yeah. to, build, uh, to build cars. I mean, yeah. it was, when I think about it, I mean, I bought my first Koenigsegger a few years ago. I used CCR. That was my yeah. first personal Koenigsegg and I'd yeah. been in production for for 17 years and uh, yeah and uh, been working with it for over 23 years at the time and yeah my dream was really to create cars yeah not to collect them or I mean I love to drive them as well but yeah but uh, I just had this urge within me since I was a kid to yeah, uh, yeah to create cars and I that's drew, really interesting drew, drew cars with, throughout my childhood since I was like six, seven years old. I yeah. tried to always design what I thought was the perfect car and reading yeah. car magazines. I have stacks in my in my boy childhood boy room that I bought from yeah. my pocket money, all the car magazines I got my hands on. Just analyze the difference between the cars and taking notes how my car should be. So yeah. I, that was my childhood. And uh, I started my first company when I was 19 because I knew it would be very expensive to build and develop cars yeah. um, and I didn't have any resources to speak of so I yeah. started a company to try to make some money and yeah. I became a trading company buying and selling uh, ballpoint pens, plastic bags, frozen chicken and so on yeah. and when I was 22 I had had that company for three years yeah. it had made a little bit of money I had a two or three employees yeah. and uh, uh, I said to myself if I don't start I, I said I've proven to myself I'm an entrepreneur yeah. I can make money my passion is to build cars. I'm 22 years old. If I don't yeah. start now, I probably never do it. It will take a very long time. It's going to be yeah. super difficult. It's yeah. probably going to be more or less impossible. I kind of, I, I was well read up on everyone else's failure. Yes. I studied everyone else's yeah. failure just as much as I studied what the car should be or what yeah. I wanted it to be. So I was kind of prepared for difficulty. Yeah. But I didn't want that to be a stopping factor because this was pre-programmed in me since I was a kid that this is what I wanted to do. Yeah. So I expected people laughing at me or not believing in me and from the wrong country, wrong person with the wrong background. Yeah. Uh, no, no, not enough finance to speak of. But I said, doesn't matter. I'll, I'll just keep yeah. on going and figure it out along the way. Isn't it interesting how we've all got our own stories about what has got us into cars and to this place? Yes. Because I think it's really interesting. For me, it was writing. I love car magazines, similarly to you, piles of them growing up. And it was writing about them and reading the magazines that I was passionate about. Other guys here have had similar stories about, you know, taking a toy car to bed, yeah. whatever it is, have now gone, no, I want to own it. I want the experience of collecting them. You've had the experience of wanting to build your own and have your name on the factory door. Well, actually, I didn't care so much about the name. I didn't even decide the name um, yeah. until we started building the first prototype. Because really? I always felt Koenigsegg was a kind of weird name for yeah. a car, it's complicated. And, yeah. and then I started looking around, uh, so everyone else has used it, the last name, Porsche, Ferrari, Lamborghini, Ford, yeah. whatever. So that was kind of the norm. Yeah. And, and then I read a story about Häagen-Dazs ice cream. Oh yeah. Which is uh, an American brand of ice cream with this made up name that you can't spell or pronounce yeah. to make it sound Dutch Scandinavian. Yeah. to make it feel more exotic than American. Yeah, yeah. And then I said to myself, if they on purpose make a name you can't pronounce or spell, well, then I might as well use mine that you can't pronounce or spell. Yes. <laughs> so, so that's how that came about. Since yeah. it was the, the norm, so. 
So uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so it was not so much about putting my name on a car, or I, I would say not even so much about the ego aspect of uh, of uh, creating a car brand. I just wanted to build and develop cars. Yeah. So and but specifically hypercars, supercars. Not necessarily. No. Uh, because to me, cars are fascinating for so many other aspects. Yeah. It's 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 just the level of freedom they offer compared to any other mode of transport. Yeah. I mean, you have uh, if you think about the other options, you can walk, you can bicycle, you can ride a motorcycle, a plane or a boat or something like that. Yeah. But if it comes uh, rain, sunshine, winter or yeah. or uh, desert heat or whatever, the car is really the one that really works in all conditions, and you can just choose wherever you want to go, wherever you want at a whim. Yeah. So it's the ultimate freedom machine. Yeah. Uh, and that fascinated me probably the most. But I realized when I started that uh, I cannot set up a big car manufacturer with, with the possibility to produce thousands of cars to, to sort of have the price, get the price down. I can create one car at a time yeah. with a lot of labor and love. And that would mean they're going to be very expensive per car. Yeah. So how do I make someone buy a very expensive car? Yeah. So then, you know, you get into this territory. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, as a consequence of yeah. where you started out from. So. Do you admire other car companies? Do you of admire course. what they do? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, this is what we have in front of us, a completely different flavor, of course. Yeah. And uh, I think it's absolutely fascinating mm. and spectacular. Yeah, and uh, something very different to what we are doing. It's it's got. I mean, I assume you've gained inspiration from what other people do and how they do it because you think, wow, they've gone that far with that. I need to go even further with what kind, I've got. Kind, kind of, or 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 equally staying true to kind of our philosophies. Yeah. So, have you driven a CCX before? Or? No. Okay. No, first time. <laughs> okay. It's really exciting. Thank yeah, you so much. It takes a little bit of getting used to, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you're right, the clutch, I can't believe how easy the clutch is to manage. Yeah, it's pretty smooth and not too yeah. heavy. This is a little right. bit chunky, yeah. but it's also a little bit uh, about age. The wires needs oil up a little Starts bit. Starts move. So, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, and for, for me, I'm short, so I'm a little bit, a bit close, close to here, it. close here, exactly, that's, yes. That's great. What a yeah. privilege. Thank yeah. you so much, Christian. Yeah, that's great. Goodness. All right, so that's uh, Christian von Koenigsegg, a complete legend, and Ollie Marriage, of course, another complete bull legend. Um, uh, that was fa that was fascinating um, uh, listening. Um, of course, there's a full video of the experience on YouTube. Um, how did they? How did you film that one? Was there a special well, tracking we, car I heard the, about? <laughs> the, the paddock was so extensive with all the cars. The easiest way of filming and getting around it was to sit in a little car company, Bugatti Type 35, and drive around and talk about the cars we were driving past because <laughs> it was easier than walking. Oh, and it's electric as well, so nice and yeah, quiet. Yeah, nice for, and quiet. Nice it, and quiet. It's the video. ultimate golf buggy. Yeah, I'm just going to say the Bugatti Type 35. Very supercar owner circle where everything is just the best mm. of the best of what you could think of and do yes. and visually quite extreme. Done. So, But yeah, I guess that's the insight into a peek behind the curtain of supercar owner circle to hopefully give you guys a bit of an insight uh, into what these super exclusive events are like. Mm. Maybe it may motivate you to one day try and work have harder. Money, yeah. Yeah, it's a different world, isn't it? Become a journalist. It's a different world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> work hard and earn a lot of money or become a journalist and get invited anyway. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next one.
Thank you for listening to the Top Gear Magazine podcast. Hope you enjoyed that. And don't forget to subscribe, to leave us a review, to leave us a star rating. But also check out what is in the rest of the feed because as well as interviews, we've got our monthly uh, behind the curtain look into the issues that we make. And also there's some new audio tidbits coming. So like Jet says, subscribe. Subscribe.